Jenny's childhood. Her name is Jenny, and for as long as Jenny can remember, um, she's had this soft spot for a certain kind of animal. It is hands down her favorite animal on the planet. Their irresistible cuteness lies mostly in their being sluggish and lazy. They build no nests. They don't seek out shelter even for their young. They sleep 15 to 20 hours a day, waking up only kind of late in the afternoon to eat whatever leaves may be within arm's reach because they really don't want to have to move. At top speed, they can run the 40-yard dash in 12 minutes. And uh, because they are so lazy, they are virtually untrainable, although occasionally you might find one working at the passport office. Um, anybody, anybody want to guess what I'm talking about? This is not a trick question. Just look at the title of the sermon. Right? They are kind of cute in their sluggishness, aren't they? So we're talking about the seven deadly sins. And before we jump into this, um, I, I do want to welcome everyone who's joining us online from the comfort of your home or your spring break vacation as we talk today about laziness. Uh, today we're dealing with a sin that doesn't get a lot of airtime. It's the original Latin word, which is acedia. And it's more than just laziness. It's carelessness, indifference, apathy to one's responsibilities. Sloth, says one writer, is the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Like the kamikaze pilot who was on his 17th mission. It's the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Uh, no one has captured sloth like the writer Dorothy Sayers. It believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. At its core, sloth is really an indifference in the presence of a glorious, mighty God. It asks this question, what is the least amount of spiritual effort that I need to do, that I have to show, in order to make sure that we're going to be good and that I'm going to get to the right place when I die? And there's an image from this in the last book in the Bible, and depending on what church, if you grew up in a church tradition, faith background, you may have heard this said about someone from time to time um, to describe like the drifting of their faith. It was almost a can be a gossipy way of someone saying that somebody's fallen away. And it's from Revelation 3, where uh, God is speaking to a church in Laodicea, and, and God says this to the church, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's not a very pleasant image. Nobody wants to hear that from God. I'm about to spit you out. Why does God take lukewarmness so seriously? Maybe because the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy, it's, it's indifference, it's lukewarmness. It's neither hot nor cold. It's just, it's just indifferent. And that's getting to the heart of sloth or spiritual apathy. It's not even that I'm adversarial with or really mad at God or rebelling against God. It's just I don't really care all that much. And this can be a real problem, especially for people who've been around the church for a long time. Without ever intending to drift, we can, we can just, over time, we can lose that, that passion for God, that feeling of being on fire for Jesus. I mean, in fact, we might even roll our eyes when people use that kind of language. 
to describe their own faith. It's when spiritual practices like reading the scriptures on a regular basis and praying on a daily basis and those kinds of things get lost in the busyness of life. When faith is no longer new and exciting, worship becomes more routine and less of like an encounter. Like I don't know what's gonna happen today because I'm encountering a holy God. So with that, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter six, about halfway through your Bible. And just as you're finding Proverbs 6, full disclaimer, the 9.30 crowd was a little bit sleepy today. And so I had to keep telling myself, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry about it, because eventually you're going to get to the 11 o'clock, and they're going to bring full energy and full attention, and that just had me feeling so much better. So, um, so thank you in advance, okay? All right, listen to these wisdom teachings, Proverbs 6, starting with verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and an armed man. So there's this caricature of the sluggard, the sloth, and you find this throughout uh, throughout Proverbs, so that later in Proverbs 12, whoever is slothful will not roast his game. I mean, the sluggard is too lazy to even cook dinner. This is a biblical rebuke of that um, raw foods diet that was kind of a craze a few years ago. Not according to Proverbs, no. Then in chapter 26, more about the dangers of sloth. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. In other words, the, the sluggard makes excuses, sometimes outrageously sounding excuses to justify their inaction. Like, what if I get eaten by a lion? I can't go to school today. Can't do it. There's always an excuse to put things off. They're victims of circumstance. They won't face hard things. Verse 14, he continues, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Isn't that a great picture? Just turning from one side to the other. Apparently side sleepers are lazier than back sleepers. But it's this image of... um, It's this image of the lazy person as restless, tossing and turning. There's an irony you see to sloth. You think it means rest, but it actually ends up meaning the opposite. The irony of sloth is that it will actually leave you more drained than before, right? Ask anyone who's uh, binged on Netflix and Ben and Jerry's, and it's not like they wake up the next morning just refreshed and invigorated, to start a new day, right? No, they're exhausted, they're foggy, and, and, and they're not really sure what's going on. Next verse. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. So here the wisdom writer's kind of taking the gloves off, right? Not only is he too lazy to cook, now the sloth can't even bring his hand back out of the popcorn bowl. Verse 16. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Now, this is, a, this is sort of a recurring theme in the scriptures. The sluggard tends to not know that he is a sluggard. In other words, sloth is sneaky, right? When was the last time you were in a Bible study or a small group and you heard someone around the circle confess to the sin of sloth? Right? It kind of goes undetected. It's not, it's, different, it's not like lust or anger, where you sort of, you kind of know it's there. Like sloth sneaks up on you. So fine, and we're gonna come back to that, but uh, last verse in Proverbs 28. Those who work their land will have abundant food, 
but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. So another picture of sloth in the wisdom writings uh, of the Bible, uh, sloth chases fantasies. Like you're constantly distracted from what really matters by trivial and lesser desires. One place we see this in our culture today, and I mentioned this a few, day, uh, few weeks ago, is, is, and this is for young men in particular, um, playing video games and living their lives online. It's a kind of chasing fantasies. Young men who don't know what a real relationship looks like, they live in this false world of Fortnite or Call of Duty or whatever the latest game is. By the way, the internet has become a breeding ground for sloth. Think about what you are capable of. I mean, you can open up that laptop and you can go down any search path toward any fantasy, any trivial, any just silly thing, and then you find yourself hours later having done nothing productive, nothing redemptive, nothing of lasting value. The internet, Dallas Willard once said, is a place of wandering. It's a place of wasted time, of wasted passion. And I say all that not because I want to just, you know, trash technology or go Luddite on you, but, but, and it's a gift, but you have to see the effect that it has. So uh, that's kind of an overview of, um, of the sin of sloth. And I'll be honest with you, as I've been working on this message the last few weeks, kind of preparing for this, working through these texts in, in the Old Testament, there was a little bit for me that was like, you know, I'm really happy to preach about this, but I just don't really get it. Like, this isn't, this isn't my vice, because I'm always in a hurry. I'm like the opposite of sloth. And did anyone feel a little bit like that as we were uh, marching through these Proverbs texts? Well, here's what, here, here's at least for me, what I am starting to learn about this. What makes sloth so sneaky is that it often disguises itself as just the opposite, as busyness. It's a kind of hurriedness of wasting our days away doing all these little things that don't really matter, that distract us from the big things that matter the most. It's when the urgent starts pushing out and crowding out the important. It's when we're so hurried that, that, that our ears cannot learn to hear the whispers and the gentle voice of our Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, inviting us into something that's way more meaningful than just the daily grind. Sloth, again, is not so much the laziness of doing nothing. It's the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So then I started thinking about this, how often I've got some task or responsibility that I've been putting off. And um, I, I know that there's a conversation that I need to have with somebody in the church who wants to talk to me about something they're disappointed in or they're hurt by or they've, you know, they're frustrated. And it's an important conversation, but I don't want to have it. Or there's that, um, there's a hard decision that I have to make and I cannot del I can't ask anyone else to make that decision, but I know that it's going to make people mad. And when I think about how much I don't want to do that really important thing, even though I know it needs to be done, it's like suddenly all these other things become really urgent, like organizing my bookshelves <laughs> or taking that stuff to Goodwill that's been in the trunk for three months. Like, I need to do that right now. Or calling back people who didn't call me in the first place. Just anything to try and avoid the thing that really needs to be done. Eugene Peterson was a lifelong Presbyterian pastor, was a prolific writer, and um, he has this line that is just gold, where he writes, I am busy because I'm lazy. 
Okay, let that sink in. I'm busy because I'm lazy. I let others decide what I will do instead of resolutely deciding myself. It was a favorite theme of C.S. Lewis that only lazy people work hard. By lazily abdicating the essential work of deciding and directing, establishing values and setting goals, other people end up doing it for us. In other words, slothful people can actually be quite busy, so busy that they end up letting life sort of run its course without choosing to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So here's a little sloth inventory, um, just to make this a little bit more fun. And I get this from a guy named Max Dupree. This is a sloth quiz, all right? And just, I'm gonna give you a few questions here and just see if this resonates. Have you noticed that relationships in your life are becoming increasingly superficial? Maybe a little bit more than they were in the past. Sloth can have that effect. At the end of the day, do you find yourself less emotionally present with your loved ones? And this is just a brief word for parents. Obviously, for me, this comes from the perspective of a dad, but I think for all of us, um, one of the first places sloth sneaks in is with our family. If we're giving our very best energy and our greatest focus to whatever our job is or whatever it is that's filling our day, only to walk into the house and they get the emotional leftovers and the not fully present version of me, that's maybe a tell that sloth is beginning to sneak in. And if you're not so sure about this, just ask your spouse. (laughs) Another question. Does the day-to-day grind lead you... um, to push aside those important goals that you know that you need to plan, right? It's the urgent that begins to crowd out the important. Here's another one. Are you always running late to things? And you don't need to elbow jab any person right now, but again, sloth is not so much laziness. Sometimes it can be hidden in this just this form of hurriedness all the time. Like I'm always kind of running a little bit late because I'm always trying to do a little bit more. All right, this is a judgment-free zone on the next question. Do you have emails sitting in your inbox from before COVID? Um, are there home improvement projects you've been you know, talking about getting to since before the Bush administration, the first Bush administration? Um, another way of thinking about this, sin, uh, sloth is a little like gravity. If you don't address it with intentionality, sloth always wins. Okay, it's like the law of entropy. Uh, Say you have a garden and you stop pouring energy into the garden. What's gonna happen to your garden? If you have a body and you stop putting time and energy into exercising your body and watching um, what you eat, what will happen to your body? Stop pouring energy into your marriage. What's gonna happen to your marriage? The same can be true of your relationship with God. Worship is, is like a, it's a weekly investment into that relationship. It's where we come and we hear from God and we learn his voice and we respond to God in prayer and, 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 and gratitude and with the giving of ourselves. And if we're not regular in worship, we're soon gonna find that that intimacy with God, it begins to kind of languish just the way that our body would if we stopped working out and eating well. So then how do we overcome the gravity of sloth? How do we overcome this? And if you've been here for any of the teachings in this series, you probably kind of have a sense for where this is going. How do I overcome sloth? It is not primarily about trying harder. It's not primarily about motivation or finding that new podcast to pump you up with 
inspiring talk about ice baths and you know, direct sunlight first thing in the morning. Not that those things are bad. My best friend is a guy named Todd, and he is the most motivated human I know. He gets up before five every morning. He reads um, just incredibly. He journals every single day. Last year, he ran 1,000 miles. He does 200 push-ups a day. He's motivated about his parenting. He's motivated with his wife. They go out on dates, and he has created these conversation cards to make it more meaningful that, that he wrote. Like, he invented the conversation deck. He is the walking antithesis of sloth. And so sometimes when I'm around him and, you know, I'm like, all right, what I really need to do is I'm going to try harder here. And so starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up before five. I'm going to exercise longer. I'm going to do more intermittent fasting and get all those projects around the house done. Allie and I are going to break out, break out the conversation cards, and it's just going to be gangbusters. And, and then we're going to get to those core values, the family values that we've been putting off for years. I'm going to get motivated. Now is the time. And inevitably, what seems to end up happening is if I'm sort of relying purely on motivation is I get, I get discouraged, I feel guilty, I start comparing myself again, and I just feel defeated. So the solution to sloth is not actually motivation, not that motivation is bad. But when you open up the scriptures and what it says about life with Jesus in his kingdom, what you find is not primarily motivation, or some command to try harder to you know, make it happen, mostly what you find is an invitation to abide, to be connected to God. Psalm 1, that person is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. They're not busy. They're not trying really hard to grow new branches. It's just this image of an unhurried, deeply rooted, connected to the source so that we can bear much fruit. Abide in me, Jesus says, and you will bear much fruit. This is what leads to fruitfulness. And fruitfulness, you see, is more the antithesis to sloth. It's abiding, remaining in, staying connected to God. And of course, abiding will involve effort. It involves arranging our lives around staying connected to Jesus. But it's not busy. It's not hurried. And it's not just trying harder. So let me offer you an example. And it's a practice that I want to invite um, all of us into as we approach Easter. It's an invitation to keep watch with Jesus. And one of the ways we are hoping to be able to do that together is through our Holy Week prayer vigil. Um, basically, we would love for you to set aside an hour to keep watch and to pray. Come over here to the church. We're going to have a prayer room set up for 24 hours, seven days a week through, the whole, through Holy Week. And you can just spend this time keeping watch, talking with, listening to God, reading scripture, maybe at a lower pace than you're used to, a slower pace than you're used to. We're going to have all kinds of resources and um, ways to guide your prayer time. I promise you that hour will just fly by and you may find yourself wanting to stay longer. For some of you, this may be an interesting opportunity, uh, maybe to schedule a time that's like later in the evening or even like almost in the middle of the night. And it might be a powerful way for you to keep watch with Jesus. I have a friend who started doing this. He was keeping watch late at night. And it was a profoundly moving experience for him. Here's how he described it. There was a stillness that is never available during the day, he writes. 
Somehow the reality of another world was much more accessible at an hour when my usual world was so quiet and remote. In the darkness, in the eerie silence, I felt as if I was actually keeping watch with Jesus. And in keeping watch with him, I found rest for my soul. The solution to sloth is not motivation. It's not trying harder. Mostly it's abiding. Arranging my days so that I can be deeply connected to God, deeply resting in God, receiving all of his nourishment so that I can bear much fruit. We cannot grow the fruit. A tree cannot just say, I wanna grow some new branches today. All we can do is decide to abide. And just to be clear, it is a decision. You can choose to abide. And I wanna encourage you to make that decision today. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can decide to do today. That's what the slugger does. Right? I'll get to it later. I'll do it later. Once things clear up, once I'm less busy, then I'll start to abide. No. Choose to take a step today. What's the worst thing that could happen? It's weird. Like it's uncomfortable. You fail. There are things far worse than failure. The sluggard sees the potential for failure and says, you know what? It's not worth it. It's uncomfortable. So why bother? No. Don't let the fear of failure stop you. I know this weekend has had a lot of us, you know, focused on March Madness. Um, if you're a sports fan, it's like the, it is one of the greatest uh, times of the year. I don't know how your bracket is doing. Mine is not doing very well. Um, well, Allie, my wife, went to this small Presbyterian college in North Carolina. And her senior year, there was a freshman who showed up on campus to play basketball. His name was Steph Curry. And he had been... Um, passed over by some of the big, you know, blue blood programs, and he ended up at Little Davidson. Well, Steph Curry, as many of you know, would go on to become the greatest uh, shooter in the history of basketball. He is absolutely revel like the game is different because of Steph Curry. Um, uh, first time this sank in for me, I was uh, I was playing basketball over at the at the Y with the high schoolers and just kind of trying to pretend that I still um, had it and. A few minutes into the pickup game, when they finally passed to me, I, um, I, pulled up, I pulled up for what I thought was a really good shot. It was a mid-range jumper, like a 12-footer, and I may have even kissed it off the glass. It was as if the music in the YMCA stopped, and like every one of these high schoolers just looked at me like, what are you doing, old man? A mid-range jumper? Off the backboard, like who does that? Literally, all they do now, if you've been to like a high school game, is they jack up three-pointers, like one after another. Okay, Steph Curry made that happen. You look at his career numbers, no one has come close to his accuracy, his accomplishments as a shooter. He has over 3,000 three-pointers in his NBA career. You just think about like what an impressive number that is. But you know what is also interesting? is the fact that he has missed more than 4,500 times. There have been games, playoff series, stretches where Steph Curry goes, he, I mean, the guy practices his brains out. There have been games and series when he has gone ice cold, couldn't hit a three-pointer of his life, depended on it. And you know what he does to break out of that slump? He keeps shooting. He just keeps shooting. He is not afraid to fail. You look at the greatest shooters of all time, the Rushmore of like Hall of Fame shooters, they hit maybe four out of their 10, every 10 three-pointers. They're not afraid to fail. 
And when they do, when they miss, they learn from it, they adapt, and they get back in the game. You and I were made for more than failure avoidance. And this gets to the heart of sloth. It's a refusal to risk failure. We settle for what works, what's comfortable, failure avoidance. And maybe the best picture of this in the scriptures, and we'll close with this, kind of the opposite character of sloth is Simon Peter. Type A disciple, um, sometimes it's like his heart was you know, bigger than his brain. And one of the most well-known stories about Peter, one afternoon he's in the you know, boat in the Sea of Galilee with, his, with the other disciples. And Peter sees Jesus coming toward the boat, walking on water. And so Peter calls out uh, to Jesus and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus um, calls back to Peter and, and it's this moment of incredible, some would even call it blind faith, where Peter steps out of the boat and he walks on water toward Jesus. Three steps, we're told. Three unbelievable steps. And then he sank. Now, but he walked on water, that's right. Now, usually when preachers tell this story, what we do is we get real serious and we lean over the pulpit and we kind of use that annoying preacher voice and we say, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, <laughs> right? Like it's a failure story. But is it possible that there were 11 other disciples sitting in that boat who failed far more than Peter? Sure, they were comfortable, they were safe, they didn't get wet, but they missed out on the thrill of taking the risk of learning to trust Jesus and doing something no one had ever done before. Peter was the only one who knew what it was like to walk on water. There is a failure far greater than risking safety and sinking into that water, and it's the failure of never leaving the boat. I mean, who, who in the story, in this story, who ends up in the arms, in the embrace, who is lifted up by Jesus? It's Peter. You see what that tells us? Jesus is not indifferent. He is not careless about you. The one who, when you fail, when you fall, reaches down into the water. The one who went under the waters of death in order to take you up into new life. He is not indifferent about you. He's not passively waiting for you to figure this out. Like, let me know if you need a flotation device, Peter. No, when you fail, God will lift you up. He is a strong deliverer, a shield of protection. Our God is a warrior. He is mighty to save. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And through him, we have become more than conquerors. He is not apathetic toward you. He who never slumbers nor sleeps because he watches over you, because he delights in you. God is zealous for our attention. He is jealous for your affection. He is not indifferent about you. So Lord Jesus, would you... Fill us with that zeal, the zeal of your love for us. Would you take our hearts and hardened and hurried as they may be? And would you heal us of the indifference or maybe the apathy that keeps us from pursuing you and pursuing the things of God in this world? And I pray, we ask, Lord Jesus, that even this exercise, this act of worship would be an offering and a chance for you to wake us up to the great things you have called us to, mostly to yourself. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.